Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, as we continue our sometime periodic uh, trip through the epistle to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 26, down through the end of the chapter. This is God's inspired word, and therefore his inerrant word. Hear the word of the Lord. Hebrews 6, beginning with verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you, have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and Preserve their souls. Amen. May God bless that holy reading uh, to our lives together. At this time, uh, children are welcome to leave the service. Uh, they can stay with their parents, but ages four to six can go to children's worship training, and they'll return at noon. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, we ask that your word uh, would be much with us. We pray that you would sustain us under it, that you would encourage us even through it, hard though it might be, and that we might become more like Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, uh, I always seem to draw the short straw. It's been that way since I was a child. I was the last one chosen. Every time we played baseball or basketball, and the same thing happens with regard to texts of Scripture occasionally. You know, some months ago when we looked at Hebrews chapter 6, Senior Pastor Fred Greco floated around the office with a smile on his face and a giggle in his heart. Oh, you'll be preaching on Hebrews 6 this week, he would say. 
You see, that was a hard and difficult passage where the text pointedly and almost offensively talked about those who fall away from their profession of faith in Christ. The words of the epistle were dark and heavy, and they were intended by the Holy Spirit and the original author to press deeply upon our conscience and warn us against the dangers of falling away. The passage before us in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning is only slightly easier in tone. It again touches on that sobering topic of falling away from a profession, but it mixes it with more notes of encouragement at the end that we might not faint and lose heart. Pastor Greco and his family are away this morning, but I'm sure that he's still smiling because he knows of the passage and he knows of the burden that we all have together to seek to find the joy in the midst of this important passage as we look together and squirm together a little bit under the light of the Word of God. But as we sit under this passage, I hope we will all be blessed to see that here we're taught when we're tempted to fall away, we should remember God's good work in our lives. When we're tempted to fall away, you remember the good work of God in your life. The first truth that we're confronted with in this pericope is that falling away from a profession of faith is a terrifying thing to do. We read in verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Here the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is laying down a first principle for us in his unfolding argument that occurs earlier in the chapter before and here continues. He teaches us here that falling away is a willful and rebellious choice. Now this is Hebrews chapter 10. Don't forget the zero. It's not Hebrews chapter 1 where we first begin to read and and we have to wonder, what does he mean by this? What, what kind of sin is he referring to? Uh, I'll have to hold open the, the possibilities of what this means and keep on reading, lest I become discouraged and terrified. We've already been through nine previous chapters. We've seen the thread of his argument. And most recently in chapters 9 and 10, he's put the emphasis on the contrast between the old Mosaic sacrificial system and its fulfillment and its surpassing in the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is not here, or the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is not here talking about any old sin. If that were the case, all of us in this room would be in trouble and heaven would be filled only with one human being the incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. It's the great and bottomless sin of apostasy to which he refers here, of abandoning the faith, of walking away from a profession. All of us sin in thought, in word, in deed, do we not? All of us sin both by what we do wrong, sins of commission, as well as what we fail to do that's right, sins of omission. We do not always walk in the way that we should. When it comes to sinning, 
If we took a poll, everyone in this room would have to raise their hands and confess that they are sinners in need of the forgiveness of Christ. What's not in view here is any old sin, but that particular and bottomless sin. The author is continuing his discussion of a particular sin, the sin of falling away. He's gone through a long digression about how the sacrificial system points to the once-for-all nature of forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he's encouraging us and calling us here with a stamp of his foot to continue in that profession and to not lose hope. But it's true. Sometimes people choose willfully to turn their back on the cross of Christ, to walk away from His once-for-all sacrifice, to walk away from Him, from their profession of Him, and so to stop coming to church and to stop being a part of the fellowship of God's people. That willful sin is what is before us this morning. And he goes on to tell us some deep and dark and hard things to hear. In verses 26 and 27, we read from the author of the epistle to the Hebrews that falling away from our profession is to abandon hope of forgiveness. Look at verse 27 uh, and 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment with a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. These are sober words. And like was the case back in chapter 6, their intention is to shake us. It's not a gentle pat or hug or cuddle that the Lord is giving us in His Word here. It's like what you do with your teenage son. What are those slaps on his chest or on his side where you say, Wake up, boy. Finish supper. Get on with it. Do your duty. The Apostle Paul is giving you one of those, or the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is giving you one of those strong, strong reminders and exhortations not to lose hope. He's motivating you this author inspired, motivating you to continue walking in the faith, to not walk away, but to walk in the light of Christ all your days. And he goes on to warn you about how doing anything else, about how falling away is an insult to Christ and to the Holy Spirit. Verse 28 says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? The Son of God trampled underfoot, we are told. The Spirit of grace outraged by walking away from the cross and God's good work in our heart and life. These are very strong and stark words. And they perhaps grate with you. Perhaps they don't set very well with your expectation. This may be something in the text that you go, is that true? Can the Holy Spirit really be outraged? You know, we live in a day and an age 
in which the Holy Spirit is thought of as one of those purple Barney dinosaurs that bounces around and sings a happy tune. You know, the one who's always just uh, an encouraging, positive, never has anything bad to do or say kind of guy. And that's not a proper biblical view. God the Father is not like Santa Claus, doting on us and and giving us any whim or wish that we might desire. The Holy Spirit is not one who just speaks always wonderful, positive, truth and light kind of statements. Here, truth and light takes on that form of being sharp as a knife, and He cuts us deep to the soul for our good and for our blessing, warning us that we can offend Christ and even outrage the Holy Spirit if we walk away from our profession and commit apostasy. And then another shocking thing is said in the text. Something else which maybe catches you by surprise as he goes on to discuss this offense that we can be to God, he quotes from the Old Testament and says, for we know in verse 30, him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And then he summarizes under inspiration and says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here, we are told that falling away is normal in the life of the church. To be expected, not utterly unusual and unheard of. You see, we're in the epistle to the Hebrews, which is one of the later New Testament books that was written. Its Christology is high and fully developed. It is a wonderful and rich text which draws heavily on the Old Testament. And at this crucial point in the argument, the author, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reaches back into the Old Testament and picks up prophetic language about the judgment of God and about the justice of God exercised against those even in the visible church who walk away from their profession of faith in the Lord. It is startling language and not what perhaps we would at first expect. You see, we love to forget some of the hard texts in the Bible. You know, there was a a copy of the Bible that you could buy in a lot of Christian bookstores not so long ago. Uh, It was all the happy texts in rainbow colors. Uh, They were highlighted in red and in green and in yellow and in blue. Uh, You could turn the page and, and you know which words to read and you could just ignore all the unhappy texts. I had a teacher one time in a biblical literature course, and and she had her Bible marked up in a most unusual way. She highlighted in red the verses that she would never read in class because they would be too offensive. But the Bible is not a book only of happy texts. Even in the Old Testament, as well as in the New, we are warned about the fact and reality of some falling away from their profession of faith in the Lord. It is normal in that sense 
that it's something that happens in the life of the church before the coming of Christ again for His people. You see, it's true. We as Christians hanker after heaven, don't we? We wake up in the morning and and sometimes we can begin our day with that false impression that all is right in the world, that everything is goodness and light, that everything is easy and smooth, that nothing bad will happen that day, no disappointment. And then when the tire is flat or the car gets wrecked or the cop gives us a ticket along the way, we come to a startling halt in our thinking and we have a crisis of faith in life. Especially in the life of the church, it's very common for people to quietly assume that if Christ is the Son of God and and if He has really died for sinners and, and if the gospel message is true, then everything will be goodness and light and easy in the life of the church. And so sin and strife and apostasy are seen as occasions of crisis in which we doubt or should doubt whether the Christian faith is true. But that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not the way it is. From the very earliest of days, Christ our Lord taught us, did He not, that there would be those who would fall away, who would persecute the people of God, who would not hold to their profession of faith. Here, under inspiration, He moves the author of the epistle to the Hebrews to say just that and to remind us that this fact is one that is true in the Old Testament as well as the New. You know, some believers doubt. Some believers waver. Some believers even wander. We all are but sheep, are we not? And our King and Head of the Church is good. He blesses us, the Good Shepherd does, with under-shepherds, elders too care for and to seek out those who wander, to even speak the truth in warning or concern to them in their great time of need. And you know something wonderful happens on those occasions. Something scandalous and horrible, but you know it's a wonderful thing when the elders speak a word of warning because you see that word oftentimes goes forth in power and God blesses hearts and lives What a joy and privilege for the church to welcome a sinner back into the fold of God, someone who's fallen away from their profession and can't be let at that time come to the table of the Lord because they have abandoned their profession by outward judgment and right. But yet they come back and they profess their sin and their need of Christ. And they are numbered again among the fellowship of God. No matter what sin, no matter what circumstance, they can come back brought, as it were, by Christ Himself as He carries that little lamb on His arms back into the the fold of God. But that's not what the author of the epistle to the Hebrews here is speaking of. He's speaking of an ultimate abandonment of a willful choice, of a turn which means that we will never turn back again. He's speaking of full apostasy. And in that case, we find ourselves but as sinners in the hands of an angry God. Do you remember the old hymn, Naked, I come to thee for dress? 
Well, someone who abandons their profession, who apostatize ultimately, then what they do is they, they tear the righteousness of Christ off and they abandon the, the blood of Christ their Lord and they find themselves in a horrible and heartbreaking condition. But, the apostle here or the writer here says, but recall the former days in verse 32 when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Here the author turns in his argument and he says to shun or avoid falling away by remembering God's good and gracious work in your life. Remember when you were converted. Remember when you were enlightened and you came and made that profession of faith in Christ. You know, sometimes we're tempted, are we not, to lose faith in God and in His work in us. But here, we're being told in the, in the text of Scripture to recall those former days, including the day when we first came to the Lord in trust to Him. Don't forget the day that you were changed. Don't forget the day when you were made a new creation. Don't forget that day, no matter what has happened, no matter what persecution you have found yourself under. And remember, remember when the Lord even carried you through, brought you through suffering and difficulty. You Remember when you were enlightened, when you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. You see, the, the recipients of this letter originally had been attacked publicly. They had been scorned in front of others because of their faith in Christ. And he's telling them that when they face the temptation to walk away from Christ, to remember the work that he's done in their heart and how he's carried them through hard times in the past. You know, we live in a time and a place or have thus far in our country where the kind of persecution that is being referred to here has not been in abundance. But remember, that is the common condition of Christians in many other places around the globe and also in other times. And if you read the newspaper each morning, I think you have to admit that perhaps we face times like that in the future in our own land in the years to come. We do well, however, to remember with the inspired author the work of God in our hearts and lives. Remember that the Lord has worked in you and He will be faithful to carry you through until the day in which He returns. Also, We're called to remember what we have both lost and gained. In verse 34 we read, For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You know, I've only been broken into one time. Uh, My wife and I were at seminary. We had no children. We we had just uh, a few things in the apartment. Uh, one new thing that we had bought that I'll mention in a moment. But but it was an inside job. Someone that was a former employee had gotten keys to the apartments when he left. And, and he let himself into our home and he stole our laundry money. 
which was a big thing to a little seminary family. And he stole some of my wife's jewelry, some things that I had given her. They weren't highly valuable, but they meant a lot to us. Interestingly, he didn't steal the new computer over in the corner. It was the 1980s, you know, and uh, I don't think the guy knew what it was or where to hawk it. (laughs) We weren't the only ones. Uh, Everyone in our little block had had their house broken into and their things taken away. That night I slept in front of the door. It uh, was unsettling and frightening and offensive. But here, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is reminding believers that they should remember that they had had their property taken and, and other believers in their church had had their property taken as well. And they should count it all joy and they should remember the reward that cannot be stolen that awaits them in heaven. The contrast between this fallen world and the glory of dwelling with Christ forever in the new heavens and new earth is the contrast that he's painting. Oh, we do well to remember what we've lost and also what we've gained. Shun falling by remembering God's gracious mercy in your life. And so keep confidence in the Lord, we are told in the text. Verse 35 tells us that the Lord holds a great reward. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. The confidence that we have is a gift from God. The strengthening that He gives us in heart and life is something that we don't hold on to greedily, but that He readily provides. And the reward that comes is a gift from Him as well. It may not all be temporal. We may lose what we have. We may find ourselves in a more reduced condition. But the Lord will provide an eternal blessing that no one can steal. What would it be like if today when you got home after church, the local constables were there and they served you with a warrant that they were going to break in your house and take away your things? What if they took away your couch and your table? They took the chairs and even the bed out of your house and then you discover that they had emptied your IRA and your 401K. You had not a penny or a thing left to your name. How would you feel? Under inspiration, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is telling us that we should count it all joy. And in that moment, we should look to the Lord our God, who is the one who is our maker and our sustainer, who provides all things, who weaves together our days. We should look to Him for light and strength and confidence and endurance. For He is mighty and able. And He will see you through Though all the world melt around you, he will safely carry his people through to the return of his son. You see, he has what you so desperately need. He has the comfort and endurance and can provide it in your life. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 
And so in the face of opposition and discouragement, He has and can deliver your greatest need. You see, what you need is not uh, some high dose of caffeine in one of those little orange bottles that lasts for five hours and makes you able to do almost all things. What you need is the quiet confidence and the dogged endurance which only the Lord your God can give by the power of His Spirit. And as you sit at the bottom of the barrel, and as you look up, reaching out for that confidence in Him, as you're asking that question which is only normal to ask, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? You can hold on to this truth that He is teaching and is training your heart to look up to Him that He is all that you need. That He is busy even in difficult circumstances conforming you to the image of Christ, making you more and more like Jesus. And at the end of the day, as He chisels away and as He makes you more godly, He is helping you obtain a very precious prize, more valuable than any item of furniture, antique though it might be, He is shaping you into the image of Christ that you might give Him glory all your days. Oh, He has what you need and He gives it to His own. And He also, we're told, comes back for His own. Verses 37 and 38 quote from the Old Testament, Yet a little while the coming One will come and will not delay. We're reminded that Jesus is coming back and that His righteous ones will live by faith, and that they will not shrink back, they will endure by His grace and by His strength. You, believer, will persevere in the grace and faith that you need, because He will give it to you. Verse 39, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The grace that we receive is but a gift of God. The faith that we receive is saving faith which He alone gives. It's not that we conjure it up in our heart and life. It's not that if we strain hard enough, we can produce it ourselves. It's a gift. A gift of God, lest any man should boast. The faith and endurance that He gives you comes from on high, the very throne of God, from His incarnate Son, who shepherds and watches over your soul. And so, my friend, when you find yourself discouraged and when you find yourself tempted to doubt and tempted to fall away, you remember this fact that God is good and He has worked for blessing in your life. You remember the day when He lifted you up and united you to Christ our Lord. You remember the day on which He carried you through the most difficult circumstances of your life. And He is able to help you endure until His return with great joy and power. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask that You might bless us richly with more of Christ our Lord that we might walk in Him 
and see Him face to face. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.